Hello. Hello, everyone. It's Landon. And Monique. Welcome to August. Yes. 2017. I know. The year of all the horse horse flies. Did I just say that? Horse I know. I was going to talk about the poor fires in the... The wild In the interior, the wildfires. I don't know how that ended up being I don't know, but there's probably not a lot of horse flies left. (laughs) It's because we're going to talk about horses today. I know. But first. Yes. We're going to talk about some excitement. Yes. So a lot of you have listened to our podcast for a number of years, and we have um, really just been running it out of the kitchen of knowledge. Yes. Not really under much. Mm -hmm. And... uh, and so we also, as a lot of you know, have been involved in developing a new educational program and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. a group of us had to make a new society to own some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Nursum is still going to be called Nursum, but when you go to the website and stuff, you may see uh, that we've brought it under our society that we have run and what that society is going to do yet, we don't really know, but mm-hmm. it just makes things a lot easier. Uh, and so it's called the Society of Professional Emergency Clinicians. Which is great. And it, there's no kind of a national thing to it because anybody can then join and we can all share yeah, we're what just, we're doing. It's small right now. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's what we're doing. And we do get a lot of people who um, ask us about, uh, I know a lot of you use it in your orientation and stuff. And I get emails once in a while saying, you know, how can we donate to your podcast? There is a cost to it. It's not huge. No. But we do have to pay for like some server to host us i don't know why a server would want our voices on it but it does (laughs) and that kind of thing so on our website at nursum.org there's now a little buy us a cup of coffee link or you can buy us a whole year's worth of coffee if you want we will never charge for this podcast it's not what we believe in but we get that some of you come from organizations that probably make a lot of money more than our organization does because <laughs> we're in Canada. Yeah. And so if you want to donate to us, that would be great. And uh, otherwise, it'll still be free. Of course, because it's more about the education. But we just wanted you to have the opportunity for those of you who've asked. Yeah. All right. So should we start talking about horses since I already uh, I started talking uh, about it at the beginning? It's really about a horse's like, tail. I really don't like horses. I love horses. It's my favorite animal. They're creepy. No, they're not. My niece is a horse. No, oh. my niece is a horse girl. She's a, She really is um, obsessed with horses. She does a lot of competitions and mm-hmm. she jumps and everything. So she's she's a great young lady. Maybe one day she'll be in the Olympics, really? the equestrian Olympics. Anyways, all this talk about horses, maybe we should start with our horse's tail. We're going to talk about cauda equina syndrome. Why does that have anything to do with horses? Well, we're going to find out during the podcast. Exactly. So for those of us working in emergency departments, it's not uncommon to see patients coming into the ED with low back pain. It actually accounts to about 5% of all ED visits in Canada. And it is one of the leading causes of disability worldwide with a high socioeconomic impact. In 2016, the Global Burden of Disease study found that back and neck pain is the leading cause of disability-adjusted life years in Canada and second overall in high-income countries. When we talk about disability-adjusted life years, we kind of mean the years, um, the number of years lost due to ill health, disability, or early death. So back pain is the number one cause of missed days at work and for those unable to return to work. That's quite significant. Mm -hmm. It is funny, though, isn't it, that it's usually like higher income uh, countries rather than, you know, you think all the back Mm -hmm. 
right. breaking work of places like India and China and third world countries, and yet they don't, maybe they just don't. They have no workers' compensation system, Probably maybe. this, yeah, yeah, exactly. So despite this, most of the complaints of back pain that you see are due to benign causes, and they're usually non-urgent. Today, though, we would like to talk about cauda equina syndrome. Now, often nurses at triage will ask patients to come in who come in with back pain, whether they have bowel or bladder issues. But I'm not really sure they understand why we're concerned about this. And so, voila, another podcast was born. I think before we start, though, we should review the anatomy and physiology of the spine itself. If you could just see how excited Landon is that he gets to talk about the pathophysiology, I just almost wish you had a video thing. Mr. Nerd. Landon is going to talk about the Well, I have anatomy. to get excited about something. Yes, exactly. There were, there were no muffins this morning, so. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I am a spine nurse. I can't believe I still say that. It was 20 years ago I worked in a spinal cord intensive care unit. But it's one of those areas of healthcare where you kind of either leave within a week or you feel you belong there for your whole career. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the spine. So the spinal cord is the meaty column between the bones. And at about the first and second lumbar vertebrae, it actually kind of stops. Mm -hmm. And the peripheral nerve starts to come out of it. And it's called the conus medullaris. And from there, the tapering continues um, to the phylum terminale. Big words, doesn't really matter. It's a big chunky thing that has little hairs coming out of it, basically, which are the peripheral nerves. And at the bottom because they still need to go further, they all kind of bundle together and travel a bit further before they start spreading out to the bottom of the body. Uh, so that's why it's called the cauda equina, because it looks like a horse tail. Exactly. Which, and cauda equina is Latin for horse's tail. You're learning so much today. I My never goodness. thought I'd say the word horse so much in a <laughs> podcast, because I really don't like them. And don't send us emails that say, Landon should like horses. <laughs> I like dogs, not horses. The bundle of nerve roots is the anatomic connection between the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. So that's basically where it switches, is around there. They are within the CSF in the subarachnoid space, with the dural sac ending at the level of S2 or the sacral 2 vertebra. So there are anatomical reasons for cauda equina syndrome to develop and for the symptoms that we see. During development, the vertebral column grows more rapidly than the spinal cord. So spinal nerves exit the vertebral column at progressively more oblique angles because of the increasing distance between the spinal cord segments and the corresponding vertebrae. So in the upper body, the spinal nerves kind of come, shoot straight out of the spinal cord right where that vertebrae is. Yeah. T1, it just shoots out at T1 and T2. But then when you get to the bottom, the spinal cord didn't grow as fast as all the bones did. So the nerves that come out, whereas up top, they just shoot straight out, have to travel a little distance before they can get out of that side of the vertebrae at that level. And so so, so as you go down L1, L2, L3, yeah. you're kind of losing one spinal nerve each time. So the cauda equina bundle gets smaller as it goes down. Huh. And it kind of, when you look at the, I, we're not going to go through the dermatones, but when you look at the dermatones, really, um, it, they don't go straight across, right? The vertebral column. You're actually looking down the legs. And I right. I think for some people who are like, well, why is that the way it is? It's probably because of this. this. Yeah. Totally. Interesting. So the proximal portion of the cauda equina is said to be hypovascular, therefore more vulnerable if compressed. Right. Well, that um, makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. So all peripheral nerves or spinal root nerves have uh, a dorsal and a ventral root. Uh-huh. Uh, the ventral root provides motor fibers for the efferent pathway along sympathetic fibers, and the dorsal root is composed of the afferent fibers. So 
why do you care about that? You mm-hmm. don't really remember A comes before E, so afferent before efferent. Mm-hmm. And things come in the back, travel up to the brain, come back down with a message, or across the reflex arc, and then out the front. So what are the functions of those? Well, the afferent pathway is sensory, so messages coming in, comes through the back, goes up to the brain, and the efferent pathway are motor fibers. Uh, It also provides sensory innervation to the saddle area, which is where you would sit in this very horsey. I know. And the big part with this is voluntary control of the external anal and urinary sphincters. Mm -hmm. And sexual functioning. Yes, because, and we'll talk about that when we talk about some of the symptoms. So you mentioned, uh, I need to nerd out one more time, because hopefully I can make this a little more... um, easy to visualize you do have to visualize this so upper motor and lower motor neurons the spinal cord is upper upper motor neurons Mm -hmm. meaning it it doesn't mean they do anything different really other than they don't regenerate Um, and lower motor neurons are kind of the secondary roads that go to the place you actually want to get to right but the upper motor neurons are kind of the highway up and down into your brain there is this sort of off-ramp that goes between the two called the reflex arc right which means something can come through a motor lower motor neuron yeah. Into the spinal cord that normally would go up to the brain for processing, but here it just hops across like the freeway off ramp and goes back onto the freeway to go down to the motor Where it thing. Needs and to we go. call that a reflex. So right. your knee jerk reflex doesn't go to your brain. No. So why is that important? If you injure upper motor neurons, that reflex arc still works. Right. If you injure the main highway, you can still go up the on ramp, down the off ramp, and get to where you want to go. If you injure that peripheral nerve, it's not the good. message can't get to that on-ramp and off-ramp. And so you lose reflexes. And the important thing with that is reflexes are keeping your bladder sphincter closed, keeping your anal sphincter closed, and a lot of sexual functioning. Function with it, yeah. And so, but you, again, you could still be walking, talking, that kind of thing. And that's why Cotta-Aquinas syndrome or lower motor neuron injuries are so devastating. Exactly. It's because this person can be walking, talking, right. does not look like a... Uh, spinal cord injury yeah but they're totally incontinent of urine and stool all the time hmm. isn't that because it's a terrible. lower motor neuron yeah. injury huh very no interesting there we go so let's talk a little bit about cauda equina syndrome since um landon has just talked about it so the compression or inflammation of the nerve roots can cause symptoms of pain altered reflexes decreased strength decreased sensation and as Um, Landon alluded to uh, sexual dysfunction and maybe bowel and bladder. Many of these symptoms are self-limiting and get better with conservative treatment. An extreme version of this is considered cauda equina syndrome. So how do we differentiate between compression and inflammation only and cauda equina syndrome? Cauda equina syndrome results from that dysfunctioning of those multiple sacral and lumbar nerve roots. And this causes a combination of clinical features. It has to be bladder, bowel, or sexual function impairments and perianal or saddle numbness. It's really hard sometimes to get a definition of that, and they've tried to choose like five characteristic features in the literature that help you guide, that helps guide us really with the questions we should be asking patients who come in with lumbar pain. And so bilateral neurogenic sciatica, so either pain down one or both legs, Sensation loss in the perineum and saddle region, which is the most commonly reported symptom. Altered bladder function leading to painless retention. And you could have difficulty voiding and incontinence or retention. 
loss of anal tone, which looks like stool incontinence, inability to control your bowel movements, inability to feel when the bowel is full, and therefore that's where you have that incontinence overflow, and loss of sexual function. Now, this is widely mentioned in the literature, but it's hard to know if it's because it's, oh, sorry, it's not very, patients are a lot shyer to talk about it. I should say it's not, they talk about sexual dysfunction, but it's not reported very often. And we think it's because patients are shy to tell it the medical professional or we are too shy not to you and i yeah you not you and i no, but i ask about it i know i always ask but about stuff nurse. like that exactly. it's like one of our first questions I, is spine nurse, exactly you know? um so the british spinal association has actually classified four groups of patients according to their presentation suspected cauda syndrome refers to patients who are at risk of developing symptoms they may be predisposed to cauda syndrome because they have a congenital narrow spinal canal or have acquired spinal stenosis from degenerative discs and they should just be educated to say come back if you have all the above symptoms that I talked about. There's something called incomplete cauda equina syndrome and those are patients who are presenting with urinary difficulty, loss of desire to avoid poor stream, needing to strain to empty their bladder and loss of urinary sensation. They could develop what we call cauda equina retention which is the next one. Cauda equina syndrome retention are patients who present with painless urinary retention and overflow incontinence. The bladder is no longer under the executive control, and the patient may require surgical intervention. And then the worst one is complete cauda equina syndrome, patients who have objective loss of the cauda equina function, so absent perineal sensation, a loose anus, and a paralyzed bladder and bowel. These patients require immediate intervention. Again, fairly rare, but it's nice to have some uh, differentiation between how bad they are. So as you mentioned, it, it is quite rare, but what causes it? And I'll tell you that in my in my many years experience, Cauda equina has, I've seen it missed a few times. Yeah. And obviously it, it gets caught at some point, but I've actually, in my years up at triage, I've had a lot of times when you're kind of overhearing a story from yeah. a young person who's got some back pain and and they're saying some symptoms of a neurologic thing and, and nurses are missing it, which is sort of why we're highlighting it today is, yeah. is you know, if they say that things don't feel right down there, this could actually be something. It's exactly. It's not just another back pain who's, you know, yeah. saying the bottom of their feet are numb and you should just be quiet. Uh, so... It is rare. The most common cause is a large central lumbar disc herniation, L4, L5, or L5-S1. And L4-5 is really bowel bladder sexual functioning. 3-4-5, it's uh, a big thing. So um, because we mentioned earlier, this area is relatively hypovascular. So any blood supply alterations resulting from nerve root pressure may lead to a cauda equina syndrome. 70% 70% of cases of herniated discs leading to cauda equina syndrome occur in people with a history of chronic low back pain. And some develop cauda equina as the first symptom of lumbar disc herniation. Yeah. Males in their 30s and 40s are most prone to the syndrome caused by disc herniation. And most cases caused by disc herniation involve large particles of disc material that have completely separated from the normal disc and compressed the nerves. In most cases, the disc material takes up at least one third of the canal diameter. Quite a big so, disc. It is. Yeah. Now, there are other causes besides discs, though, right? Yeah. So trauma can be one of them. Yeah. 
traumatic events leading to fracture or partial dislocation of the low back right. can result in compression of cauda equina syndrome. Right. That's typically a fall onto the um, like a lum- axial load onto yeah. the lumbar spine. A collection of blood surrounding the nerves following trauma, so like an epidural hematoma in the lower back area, can cause it. Penetrating trauma can actually just, if it's right. lower down, can just break some of those nerves, uh, much like it could just damage the spinal cord if it yeah. was higher up. Uh, and it, it is a rare complication of spinal manipulation. Like um, with chiropractic or something? Yeah, and yeah. that's, again, more rare than the others. Partial dislocation of the low back that can cause wow. cotoquina syndrome. You can have tumors, obviously, so an isolated tumor, either in the spine, the bone, the spinal cord, actually damaging those um, peripheral nerves. Yeah. They so it can be, either be a primary tumor, yeah, right? Or, or a metastatic, metastatic. tumor yeah. from the prostate or lung in males or from the lung and breast in females. And the most common initial symptom of people with this caused by a tumor is severe low back pain and leg pain um, and just unrelenting pain. Yeah. I think it's that's like that the big thing with cancer. Pain, yeah, yeah, that kind of unrelenting pain should always be a bit concerning to us, right? Yeah. Obviously, infectious processes can cause it, uh, abscesses, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, when you were talking about epidural hematomas, I was thinking of an epidural abscess from like, you know, IV drug use totally. or so anything the IV like that. IV drug use population. Yeah, it's diabetics. A, it's a big thing with yeah. them, right? So long-lasting inflammatory conditions of the spine, including Paget's disease, ankylosing spondylitis, mm. Um, can all cause narrowing of the spinal canal and lead to a cotoquinus syndrome. It's a really simple thing. There's, it is. There's really. a little hole the nerve goes through, and anything that <laughs> makes the hole smaller or the nerve bigger yeah, is going to be problematic. Is going to cause that nerve yeah, to have a little absolutely. bit of a traffic jam on the highway. Exactly. And may completely cut it off or may just slow conduction, which is why we have all these different phases of this condition. So the most common fact, risk factor for epi- spinal epidural abscess is diabetes, IV drug use, as we said, alcoholism, renal insufficiency, and immunosuppression. Yeah. Uh, and then iatrogenic or accidental medical causes. These are obviously the rarest because you have to have actually had some spinal surgery, but yeah. poorly positioned screws can compress and injure nerves. Continuous spinal anesthesia, LP sometimes, and that's why we do an LP down low. By the yeah, way, yeah, exactly. Is you're going where there's no more spinal cord, but exactly. there's still peripheral nerve nerves, there, lower motor right. neuron nerves that you could accidentally hit one, and it's pretty rare. But and then if it bleeds in there, it can compress the nerves. And again, I feel like I'm restating the obvious. It yeah. really is. There's a hole. There's a nerve. If one gets bigger, one gets small. There's exactly. Yeah. So anything that's going to either narrow the canal or make that space or, or stop s- the perfusion the in there. Up. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the next thing is like making the diagnosis or who needs imaging. And I think that that's a very difficult question for most of us, particularly because we see so much back pain in the emergency department. And frankly, they don't all need imaging. So some of the indications for imaging is the majority of patients with low back pain of less than four weeks do not require imaging. Most people who come to a primary care setting will have nonspecific pain with associated symptoms, and they will get better with time. Approximately one quarter of patients 18 to 50 years of age with acute low back pain who underwent imaging exams had no findings. So that's a huge bunch of people. So we shouldn't be, if it's less than four weeks, don't do any imaging at all. The joint guidelines from the American College of Physicians and the American Pain Society and guidelines from the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence in the UK explicitly recommend that clinicians should not routinely obtain imaging or other diagnostic tests 
in patients with nonspecific low back pain and reserve imaging for patients with severe or progressive neurological deficits or when serious underlying conditions are suspected on the basis of history and physical exam. So what does that all mean? So any patients with symptoms of spinal cord or cauda equina compression or progressive and or severe neurologic deficits should have an immediate MRI. So you're examining them. They have saddle anesthesia. They may have poor anal tone. They may have bladder incontinence. All those things, yes, definitely. And it's important to say they're MRI. MRI. Yeah. CT, CT, X-ray does not show nerves. It does not show all that Useless, useless, useless. Just extra radiation. Yeah. So any patients with symptoms of radiculopathy at one level or spinal stenosis with stable symptoms do not need immediate imaging unless you think that there's an infection or cancer. Um, If there's no improvement in their symptoms after four to six weeks and they still have some uh, symptoms of radiculopathy, you may want to do that. Now, if there's a high clinical suspicion for spinal infection, again, MRI should be done. It's the most sensitive imaging modality for detecting spinal infections. And for patients who you are unable to obtain an MRI, CT might be useful for looking for an infection. Sure. But right. for cauda equina, they're eventually going to need or you'll an see MRI. A big disc. With yes, exactly. And, and then like you're going to make a, a, a suspicion. A exactly. Right. Yeah. But X-rays. Don't do x-rays. Useless. Absolutely useless. That's uh, Don't do an x-ray and then do a CT scan. It's just right. don't do them. And we're all. talking non-specific. Yes, right? absolutely. If I fall off, say, a horse. Yes. Oh, oh very really? Thematic, very, very And thematic. I have lower back pain. We're not saying don't do a spine x-ray. Exactly. Absolutely. But this is the nothing really happened to me. I have this non-specific back pain with a little bit of this going on. Yeah. That might, like, don't do an x-ray. Exactly. MR. Yeah. Okay. How do we treat it? When a patient has the clinical features of cauda equina syndrome and an MRI shows potentially reversible cause of fracture, the current consensus is uh, surgical decompression. Yeah. Now, a lot of you who are listening are going, okay, so you already lost me at MRI. Yeah. Now you're telling me I need a spine surgeon? Yeah. So again, this is why we're kind of highlighting this. You may be in a place where you have this person who's maybe come in two or three times with this back pain and you may need to be their advocate and go, no, this this we need to send this person out of town for an yeah. MRI. We need to send them to a place that maybe has a spine surgeon or a neurosurgeon, because again, these aren't flashy injuries. Yeah, but they're so life altering. Yeah, to absolutely. Be walking around incontinent all the time, but still walking, it's a disability that is invisible, and you know, you're well, it has long term effects. Long term, yeah, and that's not right. Yeah. Now. That was a bit of a soapbox. We are only going to discuss lumbar disc herniation because the vast majority of cauda equina syndrome is due to herniation. Uh, But at the end of the day, treatment is directed at the cause. Right, because if you have an infection or something. You're not going to treat a disc herniation if it's an abscess. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The urgency of surgery remains controversial. When there is pressure on the cauda equina causing loss of sphincter control, it would be understandable to think that the ideal treatment would be to remove the pressure as soon as possible. But this can be difficult to know when the onset of symptoms were. There are some surgeons who state that only incomplete cauda equina syndrome requires emergency surgery and to decrease the deterioration in bladder function. Patients with cauda equina syndrome with retention 
have a poor clinical outcome and their surgeons feel there's no urgency to do surgery immediately. So don't be surprised that surgery may be delayed. But again, the nursing side of this no, is just get them to be the, the, the right flashing place. light. Be yeah. the annoying person who's like, hey, this is something. Yeah, absolutely. This yeah. and and now hopefully you have some tools to go, this is why I think it's something. Yeah. This isn't normal. This isn't some guy whining of back pain. Notice I pick guy whining yes. of back pain because <laughs> we whine more. Yeah, but also it's more common in men. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Look in, at me defending men. Look at you. I know. I was totally defending you all Boy men power. out there. Yes, absolutely. All right. Take home points. Uh, Cauda equina syndrome is rare, but back pain is common. Right. Every back pain is not caught equina syndrome, exactly. <laughs> but always keep it in the back of your mind. Um, don't be lulled into a, 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 into a sense, sense of security yeah. without asking the appropriate questions. And those questions are, is the pain go down your limbs? Do you have any saddle anesthesia and bladder and bowel impairment? And sexual and, function. And sexual right? functioning. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not, I can't pee. It's, well, it's just dribbling all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Consider high-risk people, obviously, people who've had disc problems, recent surgery, immunocompromised, diabetics, uh, drug users, anyone with a fever, and remain vigilant and have a high index of suspicion. And with our message all the time is it's not your job to necessarily diagnose this, but it's yes. your job as a nurse to be the mirror to the other people of the care team going, Absolutely. I want you to consider this. Exactly, because we, we need to keep an eye on it, yeah. right? It, absolutely. So we're going to ride off into the sunset on our horses. Oh, God, are we riding off together <laughs> in the sunset? People already think we're married. Yeah, honestly. so not. But uh, anyways, we see you next month, I guess. We will see you next month. Yeah. And you can visit our website, nursesome.org. N-U-R-S-E-M.org. And you can listen to all the previous episodes. Yeah. Okay. See you later. Bye. I want muffin the next time. Okay, I will promise. Bye. Bye. For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at nursumcast. And also find us on Facebook at Nursum Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education, www.prneducation.ca.